Hey, you know, it is good to be back with you guys, and uh, I'm a little hot if you want to bring me down just a hair. And I'm excited, I'm excited because we're beginning to uh, journey together through a, a book of the Bible, and uh, today is really going to be part one. It's going to take us about 11 weeks to work through Joshua, but uh, that's just my guesstimation. It may take longer. Uh, or, or we'll see, but that's my guess right now, so don't hold me to that, all right? Is that a fair deal? But uh, I think it's going to be somewhere around that, that time frame. But if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to go there now. Uh, if not, everything will be on the screen as well. But we're going to be spending the next uh, 11 weeks or so talking about this person that is Joshua. Not some character, like, you know, in a story, in a land far away, in a time long ago, but just a regular guy like like you and like me, that was called to do really incredible things. Numbers chapter 13 is our first introduction of Joshua, and that is where we, we meet him. And back then, Joshua was a spy. And, and Moses sent these 12 spies into the land of Canaan to spy out the promised land, and two men came back full of faith, Joshua and Caleb. That's why, by the way, we remember their names, because they were men of faith. We name our kids after them, don't we, right? Joshua and Caleb are, are common names to this day. And then there's the list of the other ten spies, the other ten people, and you have no idea who any of their names are. Now, a part of that is, is that they were full of fear, and, and you could say in a, in a sense they were on the list of the forgotten. Another reason is they, they had some weird names like Shofat. I'm just saying, man, don't name your kids Shofat. Because if you do, when they get to high school, it's not going to go show good, Right? Let's just say Shofat's going to prom by himself. But uh, anyway, that's where we first meet him back in, in Numbers chapter 13. And now there's a big transition in, in Joshua chapter 1. And, and Joshua is, is going from this, this kind of like second in command working under Moses to being the man himself. And we're going to learn a whole lot as we study Joshua about what it means for you to step into what God has in store for you in your life. And we're going to find out today that thing, that, that one thing that is holding us back, really holding us back from doing that. Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 starts out this way. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's all God says. It's a pretty short eulogy, by the way. Not sure you want God doing your eulogy. That's all he's going to say about you. Hey, he's dead, right? All that Moses was, all that Moses did, five books of the Bible, the entire Bible that existed up to that point, this incredible champion of God, and God shows up and says, hey, Joshua. He's like, yeah, God, uh, Moses is dead. Anything else? No, that's it. Just want to let you know. This is, where, this is where God starts with Joshua. Moses is done, and now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Here's why I think God starts there. It's important to begin with the end in mind. Have any of you ever read the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Anybody? A couple of you, maybe? Yeah, okay. It's a pretty good book. If you get a chance to read it, it's worth your time. Um, and the author, man, uh, he says the, the same thing. He says, we should begin with the end in mind. This is what God is, is doing with Joshua. And in that book, he says, imagine your own funeral. Imagine your own funeral. Anybody ever do that? You ever imagine your own funeral? You ever think about it? I don't know if you know this, but the death rate in America right now hovers right around 
And uh, it's likely to plateau there because there's going to come a day if Jesus does not come before that where every single one of us are done, right? It's just a reality. We have to face it. It's going to be a car crash or cancer or old age, but it's coming for all of us, right? And, and on the day of your funeral, people are going to gather around and people are going to say stuff about you. A family member, a friend, or somebody's going to stand up and they're going to say stuff about you. And my question for you is this. What is the stuff they're going to say? What are they going to say about you? And the answer well, is really, well, it depends on, on what you do from this day until that day, right? It depends on what you do with your life. You know what hangs in the balance for Joshua on this day and as, he, as, as God is approaching him is the rest of his entire life. And I believe what hangs in the balance for us is the rest of our entire life. Because I'm telling you, they're going to gather up at some church and you're going to be in the, in the box and the person is going to be standing there saying some stuff. What do you want them to say? Because then they're going to go to a cemetery and they're going to lower you into the ground and you're going to have a tombstone that's going to say a couple things on it. Born this date, died this date. Maybe they say a couple things, father, missed, whatever, Bible verse. I don't know. They're all different, right? But the most important thing on that tombstone, I believe, is the little dash between those two numbers. Why do I say that? It's that little dash that represents who you are, the life that you've lived the decisions you make, the kind of life and legacy that you live and you leave. And what God is starting here with Joshua, he's saying, is, he's saying listen, Joshua, I, I'm calling you to something extremely big. Moses' time is over, and Joshua, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Do you know the same thing is true today? What if this is the time? What if this is maybe the year that you step into the adventure that God has for you. And so he says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Verse 2 goes on, says, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now this is the big deal, guys. This, this, is, this is the promised land. The land that God had promised to Abraham all the way back in like Genesis chapter 12. So really the first five books of the Bible, besides a little bit in the beginning of Genesis with creation and that stuff, the, the first five books of the Bible is all about the nation of Israel moving into the promised land. And now the day has arrived and they're getting ready to actually enter the land that was promised so long ago. And what God would have Joshua know is that he is giving them this land. He's the one giving it to the people of Israel. Verse 3 he goes on and says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Words matter, especially when God speaks them. Would you agree with that? You should pay attention here. I want you to notice, that is past tense. Do you get this? So what he is saying to Joshua is it is already a done deal. It's the promised land. It's not if you try hard, I might have something for you. But that God had, had already worked it out. He had already set it in motion. He had already made sure that before the foundation of time, this land was for his people. And so he's telling Joshua, Joshua, you're not seeking the will of God, but you are reaping the will of God. What if you really started to believe that God has a purpose and a plan for you? And he has a hope and a future, a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. Because God's a good dad and and he loves his kids. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I've given it to you. 
just as I promised to Moses. Verse 4 goes on, says, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down the sun, shall be your territory. Now, I've got to tell you, and this is just conjecture here, by the way. This is not, this is just my opinion. But I think if you were there that day, when, when God is talking to Joshua, and you were in the crowd maybe, I don't know if there was a crowd, but you were there, right? And God's speaking to Joshua. If you were to look into the face of Joshua, after God says, hey, Joshua, guess what? You know what? You're going to take this people, and you're going to cross over the Jordan, and you're going to go into the land of Canaan, and you're going to conquer it, and you're going to take it all. I think the face of Joshua, if you could look into his face at that moment, is like, come again? <laughs> Do what? <laughs> what you say? And here's the problem. You know, you know the, the problem with going into the land of Canaan is this. There's Canaanites that live there, right? And here's the thing. Joshua was probably thinking, hey, God, you know what? I'm not qualified to do this. You see, God, you know what? I, I'm like a professional wanderer. For the last 40 years, I've been mentored by the greatest wanderer of all time. His name was Moses. I have a master's degree. I have a Ph.D. in wandering. This is what we did for the last 40 years. We get up in the morning, we pack up all our stuff. Come on, everybody, get your stuff together. They get their stuff, and they would follow, follow the, the, the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, and when it stopped, they would stop, and they would unpack. They were like, literally, they were like professional RVers just going all over the wilderness for 40 years. And now God is calling Joshua to be a conqueror. He's been a spy one time, and he fought in one battle and he wasn't even in charge of anything. He's not this great conqueror, right? And I think Joshua, at this moment, I think Joshua's freaking out a little bit. It, which is also funny because if you remember in Numbers 13, when Joshua was that spy, he came back and he was full of faith and courage. Joshua and Caleb came back and they're like, we can take this, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's go, guys, come on. And now that Joshua's the boss, he's like, whoa, 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 do what? Come again? What are you calling us to do? I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of when I was uh, a student studying theology. And I was working at a local church in the area. With, with, it was a pretty large church, and I was working with some, some pastors there, and um, me and a couple other uh, theology majors. And, and when I worked at that church, I got to tell you, I was in charge of very, very little just the reality of it, right? But do you know that back then, I was an expert in church. I knew it all. I knew how to fix all the problems, how to reach all the people, right? I really thought, I mean, like, I would sit around with my other theology buddies, and we would sit around and be like, one day when we're in charge, this is what we'll do, and everything will be perfect. It's all going to be wonderful. We have all the answers. And then the Lord went, all right, man, it's your turn. It's like, uh, do what? Come again? That's just how it goes. That's life. That's, 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 that's normal experience of a human, right? When you're not the guy in charge, you, you think you got it all sorted out. You're, yeah. But man, when you're that, you're that guy. So I think Joshua is freaking out right here of this call of God on his life. And maybe, just maybe, maybe God calls us to tasks that are bigger than us so that we'll have to lean in and trust him. Because that requires faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So think about this. 
if faith is the currency by which we have a relationship with God, then maybe that is why God continually calls you and me to do stuff that we cannot do on our own. So that we have to have him. So maybe if that's true, then maybe things like weakness and dependence are actually a positive and not a negative when it comes to our relationship with God. And so he calls, he calls Joshua and he says, I want you to cross over. So my question to you, if you're ready to get real about your relationship with God, now if you just want to continue to fake it like you have for a long time, that's fine. The fake you is doing great. Keep on keeping on. But if you're ready to lean in like you never have before, let me ask you this question. What is God calling you to do right now in your life? I mean, what is the step of faith that God is calling and commanding of you? Now, some of you, I believe, immediately, as soon as I started, uh, you know, talking about that, man, you already know. You know right now. And you're like, dang it, Pastor, are you really talking about this right now? Yep. And then some of you are like, I don't know. How, how would I even know that? My, my question to you would be this. Do you think God is not talking to you if you don't know? You see, Jesus said that, that he was the good shepherd and we are his sheep and that we would recognize his voice. If you're not hearing what God is calling you to do that requires you to step out in faith, do you think it's because God's not talking? Or do you think that your life is so loud that you don't have ears to hear? We'll come back to that one in a little while. I think Joshua is, is freaking out a little bit. And so God continues in verse 5. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Here's the promise. He's like, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And then he repeats himself here in verse 5, and he says, I will not leave you or forsake you. Now, just a little Bible study note as you begin to study the Bible on your own, if you aren't already. If the Almighty God of the universe that spoke everything into existence that, that, that exists begins to repeat himself, you might want to highlight that or underline it, all right? Something where you can just see clearly, this might be important because God keeps saying it over and over and over again. And the promise of God to Joshua is, I'm going to be with you. And then the evidence that he gives him is this. He says, Joshua, look in the rearview mirror of your life. Now, the windshield is a lot bigger than the rearview mirror, and that's on purpose. It's designed that way. But you can look in the, in the rearview mirror, look over your shoulder, and the reason you can know that I will be faithful, he says, is because I have always been faithful. The example he gives is just look at Moses. Do you know what an advantage, guys, by the way, we have as Christians? Because do you know what is in the rear view for us? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's in our rear view mirror. Do you know how you know that God will be faithful in all of his promises? That he, he is who he says he is and that he always keeps his promises? Just look at the cross. Look at the cross. Because God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So whatever he calls you to do, he will always be with you. That's what he promises. And then in verse 6, he says this. He says, be strong and courageous. Now, why does God tell Joshua to be strong and courageous? Here's why. Pretty simple. Because he's weak and he's afraid. You don't have to tell a strong, courageous person to be strong and courageous. 
I don't think God is going to waste his breath or waste his time telling people stuff that they already have or they already know. I think God looks into the heart of this man, Joshua, who we think of as this big biblical hero. And really in this moment, Joshua is just kind of freaking out. And let me be honest, me too. Me too. I like people to think that I'm strong. I like people to think I'm courageous. And the reality is the most, the reality is when you, when you stop and look at it, the most commanded thing in all of Scripture is do not be afraid. There's at least 366 different versions of don't be afraid, be strong, courageous, be anxious for nothing, don't worry. All of these things. Why? Because I think that every single one of us, we need to hear it every single year of our lives, including leap year. That, that we should be strong and we should be courageous, that we should not be afraid. Why? Because every single one of us wake up almost every single day and we're afraid. That's why God just has that on repeat over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And so God looks at this man and he says to him, he says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Do you see what God is saying right there? God is saying, You, Joshua, by your actions, you are going to cause this people to inherit the land. Now this is interesting because already twice here in, in this passage, he, he has said to Joshua, I'm giving the land and it's already been given to you. And then he comes along and says, hey Joshua, you're going to cause it to happen. And this is crazy to me, I don't know about you. And, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, why? Why does he do this? Why, does, uh, this is, why is this God's image? Why does he operate this way? And as I was contemplating this and thinking about this, I, I realized because it's because he's a good dad and he loves his kids. Parents, have you ever asked your kids to help you with something? Maybe? No? Never? Uh, how many parents do we have in here? You ever ask your kids to help you with something? How much help are they? Let's be real. Zero, right? None. <laughs> Most of the time, your kids are the fundamental problem when you're trying to take care of something like that. I remember several years ago when my older boys were younger, they got a trampoline for Christmas. And Ty wasn't born. My older boys were real little. They got a trampoline for Christmas. And, and I, Logan at the time, man, he had to be like four or five. So it's been a while. And, and we went out back to put the trampoline together. And, and Logan, I asked Logan if he wanted to help me. And he's like, yeah, sure I do. And so we opened that box, and there was like 19,000 parts, right? I think they were inspired by Ikea, you know? Ikea is Hebrew for I hate my parents. I think that's what it means. I don't know. But so we get out there, and we, we lay out all the parts, and Logan is my helper. helper. And how helpful is he? I'll tell you. Zero. He didn't help me at all, but he's my helper. He's my buddy, right? So he's out there, and we finally get it all together. And, and like the lives of my children, you know, they're, they're dependent on this thing being put together correctly. So I had to do the test run and make sure it wouldn't snap in half. So we do that, and then we walk back in the house, and Cheyenne is like, hey, what have you guys been doing? And Logan says, we just put the trampoline together. I'm like, hold on, bud. What do you mean, we? Like, seriously. But the reality is that, that together we went and we put the trampoline together. I didn't need him to help me, but I just wanted him to because I'm his dad, and I like doing stuff together. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what God is doing here. Because think about it. What does God need from you? What, what can you give God? 
You can give God 20 bucks. He's got, he's got it. You're going to give him a ride? He's already there before you got there. You're going to give him a vice? He already knows it all. But he's a good dad, and he still likes to take his kids to work with him. That's what I believe he's doing here at Elevate. You think God needs us? No way. He doesn't need us. And yet because he is a good dad that loves his kids and delights to work with his kids, he says, I've already established it. I've already initiated it. I'm doing it all, but I like to work with my kids. So by your obedience, you're going to cause some stuff to happen in people's lives. And so he says to Joshua, you shall cause his people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, he says, only be strong and very courageous. Second time he said it, and he threw in a little very in there as well. Now let me just warn you, if God gives you the be strong and courageous pep talk, he's got a big plan for your life. He says, be strong and very courageous. Now what if, what if in this moment, you know, and I, I think what happens to Joshua at this point in the conversation is like, okay, God, I hear you. I hear you, but how? How am I just to, to be something? How am I supposed to just be strong and, and, and be courageous when in reality I'm weak and I'm afraid? Have you ever tried to just not be scared? Like, I'm not scared. I'm not. Like, the more you say it, the more you are, right? It doesn't work. It's like trying to fall asleep when you're not tired. You're just laying there like, I sleep, sleep. I, uh, three hours now, two, you know, like, it doesn't work. You can't force it, right? It just ruins the whole thing. You just try. You know, fortunately, I have the spiritual gift of sleep. I can sleep anywhere and through anything. I've even slept through a tornado one time. Kid you not. It's, it's true. Uh, you know, it, it just is what it is. But uh, that's my spiritual gift, one of them at least. Uh, so that's what it's kind of like when you just try to be strong and you try to be courageous. So I'm kind of reading into this a little bit, but because of, of what God is saying to Joshua here, I think Joshua is at this point in the conversation with God where he's kind of like, how? How do I do that? How am I supposed to just be strong and be courageous? Because I'm really weak and I'm really afraid. And God gives the answer right here. Check out these verses. Verse 7 and 8. He says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is, is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Here's what he's saying right there. He's like, Joshua, listen to me. You may believe cognitively that I'm with you. But if you want to know at the experiential level that I am with you, a part of that is you just have to be rooted in my word. The law of Moses that he's talking about right here so far is the entire Bible that exists. It's the first five books of the Bible. And he's saying, I've given you my very word, Joshua. Don't depart from it. Not to the right hand, not to the left hand, but meditate on it. Marinate in it. Because what's going to happen as you begin to step out in faith, the enemy is going to begin to whisper some junk into your ear. And as you begin to hear the whispers of the enemy, you better be rooted. You better be anchored in the word of God. This, by the way, is why I believe in, in giving you the word of God here. Only the power of the word of God infused with the spirit of God can actually give you the strength and courage that you need to do what God has called you to do. 
Somebody once said, and I like the way they put it, they said, I'm, not, I'm like the mailman. I don't write it, I just deliver it, right? We've got to be rooted in the word of God. We need to know it. We need to know it so when the whispers of the enemy come your way, you do not believe the father of lies, but you believe the truth of the word of God. That's what he's telling him here. And then verse 9, he says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He does not say, hey, be strong and courageous, Josh, because you're awesome. He doesn't say be strong and courageous because you got this. You, you can do it. He doesn't say be strong and courageous because you're good enough, because you're smart enough. Oh, you know what? Just, just be strong and courageous because people like you. No, no, no. It's none of that. Hey, he, he, by the way, he doesn't say be strong and courageous because I'm going to fix all your circumstances either. He doesn't say be strong and courageous because you're awesome. And I, I know in our culture right now, especially if you're pretty young, you've been taught since kindergarten that you're like a, a snowflake and a butterfly and a skittle and whatever, right? But guess what? You're not. According to the scripture, you, all of us, apart from God, are wretched, black-hearted sinners that need a Savior. But in Christ, all things are possible. Not because you're awesome, but because he is. And you don't find your strength in you, you find your strength in him. This is why we're all here together today, because we realize that we need something bigger than ourselves to find our strength in. Here's the point. Strength and courage are not found within you, but in knowing that God is with you. And we have an unfair advantage against Joshua. We have a leg up on Joshua. You know what that is? You know why? Because in the Old Testament, God kind of watched over his people. In the four Gospels, Jesus walked with his people. But since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit lives within his people. Think about that. So you don't, you don't look within you to find you. You look within you to find the Holy Spirit of God. And where there is perfect love, perfect love casts out fear. And God perfectly loves you. So here's the question that I have for you. What step of faith is God calling you to take? Because I think it's kind of a waste of time for us just to study about Joshua and not ask how this applies to you and me. It's cool history. It's fun. But if we don't ask, what's, what's this mean to me? What's the point? So at this point in your life, where you are right now, what is the step of faith that God is calling you to make? And I'm not talking like New Year's resolutions, I want to lose 10 pounds, right? That doesn't take any faith. It just requires not eating junk food and working out every now and then, right? What I'm asking you is that bigger question. What is God calling you to do in your life right now that requires so much faith that you're going to have to lean into him with everything you're made of? What is it? Some of you, as soon as I bring it up, you know. You know. God's been working on you for a while. Let me just say this. You can't wait till you get it all worked out and figured out before you step out. You never will. So what's it look like? What is God calling you to do? Here's what I dare you to do. I dare you, take out your, your phones. Take out your phones right now. Everybody grab your phone. Open your notes in your phone. If you have notes, if you are unfortunate enough not to have an iPhone, I'm sorry, but uh, whatever notes would be for you. Open it up. Now, right now, I dare you. Write, write it down. What is God putting on your heart? 
What is that step of faith? What is that thing that God has been working on you and he's calling you? You can write it down, if it just uh, whatever, just put it down and say, by faith, I think this is what God is calling me to do. Such a step of faith that it requires me to lean into God because I can't do this by myself. I see some of you typing. Now, the moment you begin to do this, guys, I'm telling you, the moment you begin to do that, this thing will begin to well up in you, and it's called fear. It's called fear. You feel it. My question is, what are you afraid of? Like, if that's what God is actually calling you to do, what are you afraid of? I think this is why God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous because he's afraid. Now, I'll tell you the fear of every man in here. Every man that's ever lived, one of their biggest fears is, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? That's just, it's just true. Most people, if I was going to ask you and we were going to discuss this and then talk about what you are afraid of, would begin to just kind of list the surface fears. Number one is always public speaking. I don't understand that one personally. I, I just, it's, it, it blows my mind that so many people are terrified of standing up in front of people and talking. Don't get it. But it's true. Number one fear, over and over again, public speaking, public speaking, public speaking, over and over again. When we mentioned funerals earlier, I guarantee most people would rather be the person in the box than the person standing up talking about the person in the box. That's how afraid of public speaking they are, right? They don't want to do it. That's just reality. And I'm not, I'm not talking about those surface level fears, though. I'm talking about the fear that is below the fear that is below the fear. Deep down, rooted in there, what are you afraid of? There was an article in Psychology Today, and they talk about the pyramid of fears. And they, they talk about the fact that there's really just five base fears in all human beings. And the weakest, the tip of the pyramid, they said, is the fear of an ego death. That really just means the fear of shame. The fear of shame. The second one is the fear of separation or of re the fear of rejection. The, the, basically, that other people re will reject us. So those top two are kind of the surface level. And then the, the, the other three kind of get into some real fears. The third layer is loss of autonomy, which is like imprisonment. The fourth is mutilation or torture. And the fifth is the fear of extinction. Now, honestly, most of us in our regular day-to-day -day lives here in Hattiesburg and the surrounding areas, we only deal with those top two. That's the fears that rule our life. We are ruled by this fear of what other people think. It's true. It's true. Because here's what's crazy. I mean, just, just confession time here. I know the verses. I know that I'm, a, I'm more than a conqueror. I know that, that with faith all things are possible with God. I know that I am an heir of the Most High God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I know that he is sovereign over all things. And I know that my Father delights in me, not because I'm a pastor or because I go to church, but because I'm an adopted son of the King. I know all those things. And yet for some reason, what you think of me matters way too much. And it's true for all of us. And if we're not careful, we can begin to make decisions out of fear because of the what-ifs and the what-do-they-think. I don't think I'm overstating my case. But the one thing that is holding you back from God's best for you is you're afraid. You're afraid. So what would it look like to step out in courage? 
I read a book recently called Courage, the Backbone of Leadership. It's written by a, a guy by the name of Gus Lee, and he uh, talks about his time at West Point as a student back in the day. And I wanted to share a little, a little passage to make a point out of it. Um, while he was there, there was this guy named Major Schwarzkopf, and he comes in to, to teach one of their classes. And, and this is the account. I'm going to read, read this. He says, this is, uh, this is uh, Gus Lee here talking. He says, I was as dumb as a pulled stump, but I knew that Major Schwarzkopf was a great man and that if he managed to elude the catastrophes that flanked all of us, he'd provide great service for our country, if not the world. He was at the academy, and he was the most highly decorated combat veteran of the new controversial war in Vietnam, and one of the largest, smartest, and most intimidating human beings I had ever met. I would have listened attentively if he had told us he was going to teach us how to open a can of pop. Schwarzkopf speaks. He says this. Imagine you and the troops for which you are responsible are on an international border, and the enemy can cross it and strike you with impunity. But you can't cross the border. That order comes directly from the commander-in-chief, from the president. And every night, the enemy crosses the border to kill and wound your men who are Vietnamese airborne volunteers under your care. And every night, you chase the enemy, but they escape at the border where you stop as you're ordered to. Here's the question. When the enemy hits you again tonight, do you pursue them over the line, or do you follow orders and halt at the border? Questions. Hands went up all around the classroom. If we, if we cross it, will it start a new war? Nope. If we cross the border, can we destroy the enemy? He answers yes. If we cross it and we get caught, are we in big trouble? Well, he, he answers absolutely. Your president will be very displeased with you personally. There were no more questions in the class. Gentlemen, stop or go right. And then the author starts thinking. He says, he writes this. He says, it's pretty obvious, I think. If there is one thing I've learned here, it is to follow orders, especially from the president. Right or wrong, disobeying the president would be very wrong. Okay, I wrote stop at the border. When the last pencil dropped, Major Schwarzkopf asked, how many said stop? I raised my hand, so did most of the class. How many said go? The major smiled as a few hands went up. And then he said these words. He said, there are two kinds of people in the world. Leaders and careerists. Leaders have character. They act for what is right. They would die for their men. His words sank into the chalkboard, into the walls, into us. Careerists, he said, making the words sound like a crime against God himself, are self-centered, self-absorbed, and they act out of selfishness. They sacrifice their men for a promotion in a heartbeat. Careerists can't really lead because their men do not trust them and they will not willingly follow them. The correct answer for a leader is clear. You cross the border and you destroy the enemy to protect your own men. You take the personal consequences to your career, knowing that you violated an order, but you acted for what is right. You feel pride for getting court-martialed and being reduced to a private. Everyone is a leader or isn't. He says it's not rank, but it's character. So my question based off that is to you today is this. Are you on a self preservation mission led by fear or are you on a God-glorifying mission that's fueled by faith? What if this next year, what if the, this, this next season of your life, you said, you know what, I'm going to shake off the shackles of fear and I'm going to go for it. And it doesn't matter really if, if, it, if it works or not. That's not the point because a hundred years from now, the only thing that matters is what did I do with Jesus? And that's not just a salvation question, that's also a sanctification question. 
Because if the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something that you could look back on from your days in the future and say, that was fueled by faith. I didn't have what it took, but I stepped out in faith. Faith is the currency of our relationship with God. And to say, I wasn't ruled by fear, but I lived in faith. So maybe you know what God is calling you to do, and you're, you're, you're convinced to step out in faith, but you're like, how do I do it, Pastor? What, what do I do? The answer that God gave Joshua was, do not depart from my word. Don't depart from my word. My question to you would be, how are you going to lean into God in this next season of your life? How are you, you know, let, me, let me explain it this way. Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. There's no J in Hebrew, so the way you pronounce it is Yeshua. And I don't know if you know this, but if you flip over to the New Testament, there is a Yeshua that's kind of a big deal. The Latin transliteration of the Hebrew Yeshua, we would pronounce Jesus. Same name, same name. Joshua and Jesus are the same name. And you see, Jesus is the greater Joshua. The name Jesus or Joshua means the Lord saves. And in John chapter 14, Jesus is doing eternally what Joshua was doing geographically. You see, Joshua was going to take a group of people across the Jordan and cross into the promised land. Jesus is going to take all the people that would believe in him and follow him out of death into life, into the promised land forever and ever. Amen. And in John chapter 14, it was right after communion, right after they've had the Lord's Supper together, and Jesus has begun to tell them, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die, and on the third day, I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm going to ascend to the right hand of God the Father. And as he's telling them this, they, they're, they're like Joshua, and they're just looking at him like totally freaked out, right? They had this look on their faces just like Joshua, like, what? And so in John chapter 14, Jesus says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because their hearts were very troubled. The mission that God had for them was huge. They were about to lead this global, this worldwide movement that is called the church. And there was going to be extreme persecution on them. And so their hearts were troubled. And so he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. For where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. For in my house there's many, many rooms. I'm not going to go there and tell you if I wasn't going to come back and get you, but you know the way. And then Doubting Thomas says, the way? We don't know the way. And Jesus looks and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then one of the other disciples was just like, oh, you know, speaking of the Father, man, it would be really nice if you just show us the Father. To which Jesus, I, I got I to gotta think at that moment, Jesus was just thinking to himself, are you guys dumb? Like, three years I've been talking about this with you three years. And he's like, okay, boys, pay attention here. Listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? He just makes it as blunt as he can. But check this out. He says, I'm going to go pay the penalty for your sin on the cross. Three days later, I'm going to be resurrected from the grave. And then I'm going away. But don't freak out. Don't get scared because I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be in you. What Jesus is talking about here is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Joshua. And I will be with you. It's also right there in the Great Commission where Jesus says, though, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. How is Jesus possibly going to be with all of us simultaneously? By sending the Holy Spirit. 
that whoever would receive Christ, the Holy Spirit would, would, would dwell inside of them. Now, here's what I think. I think they hear all of Jesus' words, and their hearts are still troubled. That's why you get to the next chapter, chapter 15. By the way, back then, there were no chapters. There, this was just, you know, the story. And you get to chapter 15, and Jesus here, the master storyteller, he's about to give them the same exact advice that God gave to Joshua on how to be strong and courageous. And he goes, okay, boys, think about it this way. Listen, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Like, I'm the source of your courage, I'm the source of your strength, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and my father's the gardener. And apart from me, you can't do anything. So don't be looking for this strength and this courage on your own. You will find your strength and your courage is lacking. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But abide in me, stay close to me, and I will stay close to you and abide in you. You're like, how do I do that? It says, abide in me, my, my, my word will abide in you. And in that relationship, in that staying close with God, you can do anything that God has called you to do. That's what John 15 is all about. Jesus gives his disciples the exact same encouragement that God gives to Joshua. And I think that right now, God is giving to every single one of us. So the question is, what is God calling you to do? Why aren't you doing it? What are you afraid of? I know some of those fears are legit fears. And so the way to be strong and courageous and be, to be able to, to step out in faith is you've got to lean into Jesus. You've got to abide in Jesus. That's what he's saying to us. And then, I hope you can see this, the, the cycle of faith, the more you abide in his word, the more he abides in you. And the more you do that, the more you begin to hear his voice. And the more you begin to hear his voice, the more God is going to call you to take these audacious steps of faith. Why? Because it makes you lean into him. And I promise you this. As you begin to do that, the whispers of the enemy will come against you. And they're going to get loud. I promise you, I deal with this every single week. When the enemy whispers, you can't be the pastor. If they really knew who you were, they'd disqualify you in a second. You'd be gone. You'd be done with them. So i got to shrink the size of my ear holes, as somebody once said. Quit listening to the, to the crowd and what they have to say and get focused on the one who is calling the plays. This is what Jesus is saying to do. And so my question is, this next year, this next phase of your life, in order to be strong and courageous and do what you need to do, how are you going to lean in? How are you going to abide in Jesus? What kind of step of faith are you going to take? Here's what I mean. For some of you, what you need to do to abide in him is come back next week, and the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that, and not neglect gathering together. Because I know how some of you work. You're like, yeah, we're kind of a two-on-one-off thing. That's our program, right? Go to church twice, and then we'll take a week off because we got some other stuff to do, and I don't want to really get burnt out. Burn out on Jesus. Come on now, seriously. I promise you're not going to regret it. And maybe this is the year, maybe where you just say, you know what, finally, I'm just going to start living under the authority of the Word of God, and I'm going to make time to spend in the Word of God, and I'm going to schedule everything else around that instead of the other way around like it's always been. I'm going to find ways throughout the week to get into the Word of God, to marinate on it, to meditate in it, not to depart from it. And do you realize, by the way, that when Jesus says to his church, I'm with you, part of the way that he is with you is to the brothers and sisters sitting around you because they're the body of Christ. 
what I'm trying to get you to do today is to lean into Jesus. Abide in him and he will abide in you so that by his strength and his courage, you will have what it takes to do what he's called you to do. Not in your strength, but in his strength. Maybe some of you need to dig into, into the Bible, right? Maybe you need to memorize some scripture so that as you begin to step out in faith and the enemy begins to whisper those lies, when the father of lies begins to tell you some junk that is not from God, your father, then you can stand on the truth of the word of God. You can't do that if you're not abiding in him. And here's what it takes. It just takes that first step. The first step that says, I will no longer be ruled by my fears, but I'm going to stand in the faith that God is making available to me. Let me pray for you. Father God, you're, you're so amazing. You're so incredible. My prayer for every single one of us here today is that we would recognize that apart from you, we don't have what it takes to do what you've called us to do. Father, I, I pray that we would see the, the beauty and the, the, the ama amazing thing that you, you've created this system where you call us to do stuff that we need you for so it makes us rely on you so that we stay close to you. Father, you don't need us. You don't need us to do anything for you. And yet you invite us and bring us along and because you're a good dad who loves his kids and you just want us to be with you. Father, I pray that we would recognize that in ourselves and that, and Lord, we would start to live our lives with, with, with courage and with strength and not with fear because we're relying on you and not on us. We pray in Jesus' name.